Get Weak. Hello and welcome to another installment of The Rotating Reels. I'm one of your hosts, Keegan Tran, calling in from Portland, Oregon. And with me, I have Hank Showalter calling in from Seattle, Washington. Introduce yourself, Hank. Hello, I'm Hank. And calling in from Kauai, Hawaii, on the last week of his vacation, we have Taylor May. We, we, we had a tsunami drill this morning, but I forgot that it was a drill. So for 30 seconds, I was totally panicked. <laughs> what an intro. Wonderful, wonderful <laughs> to be with you guys again for another week. We have a great review this week. It's a B week, and it was my week. I recommended that we watch Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 animated version. Not this trash, new age, Scarlett Johansson version that uh, we will never speak of again, but we'll likely rag on throughout this review. Before we get to our main review of that, we have a couple other things to talk through. Initially, we want to remind everyone kindly, we have a Patreon. And we have a lot of fun episodes there. For those that don't know Patreon or maybe don't know what we have on our Patreon, it's a site you can go to. For a very small subscription fee of $5 a month, you can become a patron. We have yet to decide the name of what our Rotating Reels army will be. Maybe if you become a patron, we'll make a poll and you can vote on that. Uh, so again, for $5 a month, you can join on. You get access to, again, all of these free episodes that are always available on podcasting sites like uh, iTunes, Spotify, but you also get access to exclusive content, which we're calling Rotating Reels After Hours. These are times where we uh, are recording it after the main show. We have various topics. Uh, we've done some fun things that are a little more loosey-goosey, uh, not usually within the confines of a mainline film review that we do non-spoiler and spoiler. So tons of fun to be had over there. We just did an episode last week with a streaming showdown. We all chatted about our most and least favorite streaming services. It's a ton of fun. Great value for your money. You get two new episodes every month. Go check us out at rotatingreels.com. With that out of the way, before we get into the main review, gentlemen, it has been a full week since we last chatted, and in that time, I'm sure we've all watched a lot of film and television. Taylor, why don't you kick us off and tell us what it is you've been watching, and I will start your timer momentarily. Bear with me, bear with me. I'm still bearing with you. And go. Taylor, you got three minutes. Yeah, I had a light week this week. Um, I finished up the second season of Love, Death, and Robots. Um, I, I think I liked it better than the first season. Um, I, I think it was all the animation styles I liked a little bit more this time. But uh, my favorite by far out of both seasons was uh, Snow in the Desert. I thought that was just incredible. So much story packed into 10 minutes. Um, so if you don't want to watch all of the 10 minute shorts i don't know who's that busy on time they can't afford 10 minute short uh, episodes snow in the desert was far and away the best one for me um and the only other thing i watched besides uh, ghost in the shell was uh and for for memorial day i watched uh, hacksaw ridge um which is from a couple of years ago i hadn't seen it it's a true story or based on a true story um of a, a conscientious objector in world war ii um, who ended up being combat medic and ended and you know refused to touch weapons or anything um, and ended up winning the Medal of Honor um, for actions in Okinawa. Um, a really really incredible film. Um, the main actor I forget his name but he's the guy in uh, the Social Network um, that is uh, Zuckerberg's friend. He's like the first guy that got screwed over due to Zuckerberg having money. Um, he's the guy that they sue at the beginning. So he really carried it. Um, 
and the director was with Mel Gibson. Say what you want about Mel Gibson, but the man knows story arc. And uh, this was a great film that showed personal uh, heroics, but also really depicted the war as just absolute hell. Um, you know, it didn't. It wasn't this patriotic, you know, stars and stripes forever kind of bullshit. It was. Um, really depicting the, the terribleness and, and futility of a lot of what was going on and showing people doing uh, amazing things in those circumstances. So um, I thought it was, it was a pretty pretty great film for, uh, to see for the first time on Memorial Day. Um, but otherwise, that's, that's all I watched, just those two things this week and, and, our, uh, and our feature review. Dang, you never fail to come in cleanly under that three-minute mark, Taylor. I don't think you've ever come remotely close to going over and getting played off. Are you that afraid of it? No, I've, I've been on vacation, man. I haven't been watching a lot of TV or movies. <laughs> yes, fair <laughs> enough. I think it's probably more concerning if you were going over on your Hawaii vacation. So hopefully yeah. starting next week, you'll have a ton more stuff. <laughs> cool. Well, Hank, what have you been getting up to in this past week? Uh, I've also had a fairly light watch week. Um, so on the TV side of things, uh, you know, continued watching Psyche K. Uh, about done with the main series, uh, and I'm going to pretty soon move on to the Netflix reboot, uh, The Disastrous Life of Psyche K Reawakened, um, which I've actually seen before, uh, but I don't remember it as well because I, I watched it with friends and they talked over the whole damn thing. So I'm, I'm excited to watch that one again. Um, you know, it's hard when you're watching anime subbed because, uh, you know, if someone talks, you just miss the whole thing. Um, so anyway, watch that. Um, I just finished the most recent, ep uh, season of Netflix's, uh, Castlevania, which is an anime mm. they've produced that's loosely based on the games. Um, and I really like this season. Um, I really like the first two seasons, uh, the third season honestly kind of sucked and had, like, a weird hentai finale. Um, but this season, uh, the animation's better than last season. It didn't have a weird hentai finale. Um, <laughs> the characters were a bit better. I think the writing was a bit tighter. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I liked it. You know, it is it, it, it a little bit of nonsense, but I, I like some nonsense. So, overall, really enjoyed it, uh, especially the fight scenes this season. The animation was fantastic. Um, really action-packed, really violent stuff, which I like in my anime. Um, reminded me, like, kind of in a good way of Devilman Crybaby. So anyway, really enjoyed the latest season of Castlevania. Sad that it's the last one, but I hear there's a spin-off series coming my way. Um, I watched a couple episodes of uh, The Murder of Lacey Peterson. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, it's a, uh, I believe, a Hulu series that's like a true crime doc about a woman that was murdered and they thought that her husband did it because he was kind of a shithead, uh, but it turned out he didn't do it um, or something like that. Honestly, would not recommend this to anyone. They have like no fucking evidence. Uh, I, I, I was actually watched like, two, I think two or three episodes and about halfway through the third episode, I was like, Wait, have I just watched the same episode over and over again? Because they're just interviewing the same people over and over again about the same points. It's garbage. Like, it, it, it's kind of an interesting case, but it is not an interesting show. Um, so wouldn't recommend that one at all. And, uh, yeah, besides that, you know, a little bit of Bob's Burgers. You know, that's kind of the, the comfort food go-to. Watched a bit more Adventure Time. I still have the same complaints about it. It's a little bit lol so random, but I've gotten to some of, like, the main story beats in the show that I think are actually pretty interesting. They go to some darker places than I'd expect, so that's cool. 
I'm excited to watch the HBO Max spin-off of that, Adventure Time Distant Lands. And that's all I've been watching. Uh, actually, that's not all I've been watching. I lied. On YouTube, I've also been watching the newest season of the Watcher series, Are You Scared? Where they read, like, internet creepypastas and react to them. It's unscripted. It's hilarious. If you don't watch Watcher, I'd recommend watching Watcher. I just hit my three minutes, so I'm not going to go too far over. But I do just want to say I have started my next Yakuza game. It's Yakuza Kiwami 2. That means Yakuza Extreme 2. And it really lives up to that extreme name. I've been promising for a long time that for a Patreon, I'm going to go on an eight-hour rant summarizing the Yakuza series when I complete the series. And so, you know, just for anyone that's looking forward to that, it's getting closer. I'm going to move on to three soon. So uh, look forward to it. That Nice, Hank. You ran just double of your time. I think it's, uh, you know, for anyone that listens at home for dedicated viewers, you might know that Hank never gets played off, and that's because Hank is also our editor, so uh, he spares himself from that. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, Keegan. Any time that I run over, I just add to the playoff portion of your what you've been watching. I've got time lost for me. Fair enough. And Hank, so you said for season three of Castlevania, it had a little bit of a hentai ending. I'm sure Taylor doesn't know what that means. I don't know what it means, and I'm sure many of our audience doesn't know what that means. Can you can you give us a little explanation of what hentai is? Yeah, so hentai <laughs> in Japanese uh, loosely translates to pervert or perverted. Um, and so basically what it means is the, uh, the end of season three of Castlevania involves two sex scenes with full frontal nudity um, and full rear nudity, for what Whoa. it's worth, uh, that they just cut back and forth between for like a solid 10 minutes. Um, it, 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 and it's it, it's just weird. There's no other sex uh, in the series uh, that I can remember, and they just spend ten minutes cutting back and forth between two different groups of people having sex. They're both group sex scenarios, if I recall correctly. Hmm. Um, so anyway, it's just a little bit uh, more explicit than I care for in my action anime. Would have preferred some fight scenes, uh, but you know, if 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 you're into that, and you know, maybe maybe you loved season three. Interesting. So not only are you a cruel and unfair editing god, you are also a degenerate. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I would contest that, but uh, I think that you should tell us about what you've been watching rather than focusing on my failures, Keegan. Cool, yeah, so move us along. Uh, I, <laughs> I had a, uh, I'd call this a medium week. So I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but I know I've told you guys. Uh, in recent weeks, I've been getting into drones a lot. The weather's getting nicer. Um, there's a lot of, you know, we live in the Northwest. There's a lot of opportunities to get out and fly drones. Uh, and these are not like the typical DJI cinema drones that you think of. These are like very scary, fast racing drones that can easily go 120 miles an hour. They weigh like five pounds and usually strap a GoPro on top of them. Um, and they have exposed propellers, so they can often cause a lot of damage. So when you get into the hobby, a lot of people recommend that you spend a significant amount of seat time playing simulators. So uh, usually for about an hour each night, I'll play a simulator just so I can get my uh, flight down. And I usually want to watch something in the background. So I have been getting into the habit of watching movies that I've already seen before or that I know won't require a lot of attention span in the background while playing Sims. Um, and so the first one I watched was Resident Evil Extinction, which I think is the fourth in the franchise. Uh, and story is always dumb in these movies. I think there are people that will defend them, but... Uh, it's basically just the director and his wife who are looking for an excuse to get another Resident Evil made and grab a couple more paychecks. But I think there's some fun stuff in the Nevada desert, um, especially coming off of watching Army of the Dead last week. I think visually this is an interesting movie. Not much else. Um, I also watched a movie called Greenland, which is new to HBO Max. 
It is uh, a Gerard Butler disaster movie where there are comets coming down and there are encampments in Greenland where there's many, many bunkers that can house uh, hundreds of thousands of people. So it covers him and his family trying to get up um, north from Florida to seek refuge in Greenland. It's a really, really dumb action disaster movie. It feels straight out of the 90s, but uh, it's pretty fun. I think there's some decent special effects there. And it actually features King Batch from the Vine days uh, in, a, in a small little supporting role, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, very, very millennial reference. Um, I also watched Disney's new Corel movie with Emma Stone. This is a movie that I was not particularly excited about. I generally don't give a shit at all about these Disney remakes, uh, especially the live action ones. And I think they generally do not do very well and I find them pretty uninteresting. Uh, but we watched this um, and I will say this, fuck you Disney, I didn't pay for this. I'm not gonna pay you for your premiere access when uh, you know I already have your streaming service. You should just include this with your service. But I watched it uh, in a, a legal adjacent way and Krill is actually a lot of fun. I actually think this is up there with like The Jungle Book or Maleficent as far as these Disney live action remakes. They're pretty fun. Um, and I think there's some interesting recontextualizations of the character. And then last, I know I'm running pretty short on time here. I watched A Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, and I saw this in theaters, and I would recommend if you're fully vaccinated and you're two weeks out, this is definitely a theater watch. I, again, broke the law and smuggled in some goldfish, and I barely had any opportunities to eat any because I could just feel the other patrons in the movie theater just glaring at me. Anytime I was crunching these little motherfuckers, they're so small and they're so loud, and it's such a quiet, suspenseful <laughs> movie, and I just felt like I was ruining everyone's experience, and so... My partner and I, we would wait for a dialogue-heavy scene or something to just chow down on as many goldfish as we could before it instantly got quiet again. But, man, John Krasinski is right up there with Jordan Peele as these guys that have really, really interesting comedy backgrounds, be it Key and Peele or The Office, and they move seamlessly into directing really good, really, like, high-thought horror movies. Like, Quiet Place 1, really, really cool concept movie. And this picks up right where it left off. This is very much just a double feature movie. So I think they're both an hour and a half. Put them together once they're both out on home release. You have a really cool three hour suspense horror thriller. This is awesome, man. It's absolutely everything you want out of it. It very much feels like a Last of Us game where it's kind of a frontier exploration and it kind of opens up the world without feeling like, you know, it shows too much. So I love this. If you have the opportunity to see it in theaters, this is something you should definitely do. Uh, and I almost begrudge the fact that we didn't get to do this for a main review, but obviously I'm very happy that I got this before. So I'm definitely over, but you know what? You probably haven't even got this far because Hank started playing on what they're talking about. So if, if you're hearing this, uh, I have to say, I didn't see Quiet Place 1. Um, Interesting. Ooh, okay. This is the yeah. most Hank movie. That's so surprising. Yeah, I know. Like, I. Uh... I feel like it came out and uh, I just like read Bird Box uh, before it came out, which mm -hmm. is about like a blind woman. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, it sounds kind of similar. I don't know how similar it was. And also, uh, I just really hate Jim in The Office. And I was like, I don't want to see more of him. Um, it's not John Krasinski's fault. He, he's a great guy, but but Jim's the worst. <laughs> um, like oh, zero out of no, 10 it, guy. It's, it's sh good. Should I watch it? It's better yeah. than Bird Box for sure. Yeah, okay. definitely, definitely okay. better than Bird Box. I, I think for me, Bird Box is like a five out of ten, and Quiet Place One is like a seven point five out of ten. It's it's really really fun. Oh, I actually haven't seen Bird Box. I've only read the book. Damn um, it, Hank. Yeah. Uh, well, 
regardless, you should watch. Yeah, that's movies. just, you that's know, just that, always, I, the, I, always the case. I just I'm sorry. I'm just too cultured. <laughs> <laughs> Hank, I would say there's two ways you should go about doing this. Either I know you're about to be two weeks out from your, your second dose. Either cram in the first movie in that couple days you have and then go see the theaters or maybe wait it out and just, I really think, man, watching them both for the first time as a double feature would work out really, really nicely. Yeah, I, I do like a good double feature. Like, I, I like the Kill Bill double feature experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe I'll try that one out. Yeah, cool. Well, you know, I think Kill Bill's a great way to segue this in that they're both, uh, you know, the later version of Ghost in the Shell, both movies that feature white women in roles that should probably have been given to Asian women. But without much further ado, let's move into the 1995 anime version of Ghost in the Shell. I'll read the IMDb blurb really quickly. A cyborg policewoman and her partner hunt a mysterious and powerful hacker called the Puppet Master. Uh, again, this is a 1995 animated movie, very much spoken within the same breath as movies like Akira, as one of the movies that kind of brought anime into the forefront for a Western audience. So I won't go on this too much uh, before giving you guys an opportunity to speak about it. I think, Taylor, you did what we've been watching first. Hank, how did you feel about this movie? And again, for the audience, neither of my two co-hosts have watched this movie before. Yeah, so um, I was, uh, you know, this is one of those movies that I felt like I should have seen earlier than I did. I really like sci-fi. I really like anime. I really like that 90s aesthetic. Um, and I have to say, on all those fronts, uh, really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, the, the, the art was really well done. I really particularly liked the background art they had. Um, I, I honestly can't remember what city it was it was set in, uh, but just really awesome. Very clearly uh, provided a ton of inspiration for uh, Cyberpunk 2020 and Cyberpunk 2077, which despite its flaws was still pretty fun. So, you know, it was kind of fun to see the source material. The character animation was great. It was good, you know, kind of a bloody violent anime movie, which I go in for. Um, the story was awesome. I, I won't go too much into it before spoilers, but... Uh, you know, really kind of a cool exploration of a lot of like cyberpunk themes and kind of uh, some kind of like transhumanist themes that I see in like some of the like science fiction books I've read. Uh, you know, some things that reminded me of like Neuromancer by William Gibson or the Hyperion series by Dan Simmons. So really into that. Uh, and uh, the music I thought was really awesome, really kind of like haunting kind of off-kilter music it wasn't really like a lot of stuff i'd heard before but i was really into it um but i had one big complaint about the movie that uh i said all those nice things to kind of offset this big complaint because it's really not the fault of the people that made the movie uh but anyway i watched the movie on uh on amazon and uh i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't find anywhere where i could watch the movie subbed and in the original japanese and the dub for this movie was god-awful. Um, pretty much every time someone spoke, I was cringing. Uh, which is just not a way I, I want to watch a movie. <laughs> um, like, uh, you know, like, I, 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 in, you know, not to say that it ruined the movie by any means, but, oh my god, like, whoever made this movie available on Amazon should have gotten the sub. Like, the dub, uh, just such forgettable voice performances. Uh, I'm sure that the original Japanese was better. Or at the very least, if it wasn't that great, I would be able to tell a bit less than I was with the English-speaking voice actors. 
because I don't think there was a single character in this movie that I liked listening to talking. And it wasn't because of their lines. Like, I thought the lines were more or less fine, but the dub sucked. Um, but that was really my only complaint with the movie. Loved the action. Loved, loved, loved the art. The music was great. The story was great. Uh, but the dub really kind of put a black mark on it for me. Yeah, fair enough. No, I think this is it's very much a product of the 90s, right? Where a lot of the, the English dubs that we look on very fondly, like with Ghibli movies... Uh, the reason those are so good is because Disney bought them for U.S. distribution, so they had access to like, a wealth of really good American voice actors. We saw that when we reviewed Porco Rosso, um, but it was very much a different time in, in bringing over movies for Western release. So I agree, the dub is, is definitely pretty rough. Uh, Taylor, how did you feel about this movie? And again, you had never even heard about this when I introduced it to you guys last week. No, and I actually kept forgetting what it was called. So whenever I would like think, oh, I got to watch that this week, I would always call it the Spooky Shell because I couldn't remember what it was actually called. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> Hank, uh, it's free on YouTube. You can watch the the subversion free on YouTube. Yeah. So if, if anybody's worried about uh, worried about that, just head on over to YouTube. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I. I've never been super big into anime, but I've tried to watch some of the, you know, ones that are considered like pinnacles of the art, just to broaden my horizons, right? So I've watched Akira, I actually saw it in theaters, um, and, and some other films, and this struck me a lot like those other films, in that the art is incredible, the score is also incredible, um, it's this really interesting mix of ridiculously complex dialogue with all kinds of deep topics spoken to very vaguely and then in between those dialogue scenes there's like five minutes of just cityscape and like moody traditional Japanese music where you just get to brood and think about what the dialogue has been and so I, I liked it a lot and I really have no idea what was going on. I like have some vague idea of who the <laughs> characters were and everything but just like Akira like I, I finished and I was like well, that was cool and fucking weird. Like, I have no, no clue about anything that was going on. So it's, it's, it's fun. I don't think it's going to lead me down the anime rabbit hole. Um, and maybe I've spoiled myself by only watching the, uh, like, the cream of the crop that, you know, has risen to, like, more general audiences like myself. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching it. And um, I, got, I got a lot of stuff I'm excited to talk about in the spoiler section. Cool. Wow. I'm glad. I, I think... Uh... They're on a bit of a hot streak, man. After burning the Ghost in the Shell, I think, I think I've got you two pegged. I think I got you. You figured out for your taste. So I'm glad that you both enjoyed this. Uh, this is a movie that I obviously think very, very highly of. Um, it's probably my top three to five anime movies ever, and it's, it's definitely up there as one of my favorite science fiction movies as well. It's, man. I mean, to have a movie that was is spoken in the same breath, like you guys said, as Akira, you know, Neuromancer, which is just an insane book. Um, and then directly could influence things like The Matrix and, you know, James Cameron can even say it was a, a big influence for um, his Avatar movie. So, again, while that's not a phenomenal movie, I think the, the lasting impact that this movie has had on science fiction is just undeniable. And I think those cityscapes are just so, so pretty. Um, so I guess with a couple of my, my early thoughts, I just had some, some things I pulled from trivia from the IMDb, which I thought was interesting. So you guys both talked a little bit about some of the, the sound design and some of the music. Um, and it's always, haunting is always the word that I feel like people bring up when talking about it. Um, but it was it was scored by Kenji Kawai, who is kind of a legend overseas. Um, and he's worked on things like 
Hank will probably recognize Higurashi, Mob Psycho 100, Fate Stay Night. Uh, he did a lot of the soundtracks for the Gundam series. Um, and when he was making that that orchestral kind of like throaty uh, haunting sound that you hear throughout a lot of it, it was a mix. It's traditional Japanese songs, so it's in Japanese, but it's a Bulgarian harmony singing it. And it's a Japanese wedding gospel that's sung to dispel evil influences. And so the symphony Obviously. conductor noted that the blend of like the Western and Eastern influence was meant to tonally match the climax of the movie, where there's a bit of a melding of characters we'll talk about later. So I just thought that was really interesting. I feel like people always bring up the sound. Um, and the other thing that I feel like I can say without spoiling it too much um, is about the animation itself. So I, I think Hank has talked about this a lot with like Devilman Crybaby. Um, I definitely really like older animation as well. There's this real charm that comes from 2D animation. A lot of these movies were hand-drawn, which is just a painstaking process. Akira was done by a group of like many, many artists over many, many years drawing out each panel, kind of like Disney used to. Um, and this movie was done in a way that was a little bit of a blend. So it was done traditional 2D style, but it was one of the first movies to utilize this computer software that would help them produce digital images that would help fill in the gaps. And it was kind of seen as this blend of like the old and new school. And it was meant to like be one of the new techniques that animators would use moving forward. And now obviously we're in an age of full digital, but I just think this duality of like old and new that we get throughout a lot of Japanese movies and a lot of, you know, this movie in general really, really flows through through the animation. So I love this movie a lot. I think there's a lot to glean from it. Um, and definitely I think a lot of the, the stuff we can discuss is, is definitely deserving of being in spoilers so uh, i think we'll take a quick break but when we come back we will dive into our spoiler discussion of ghost in the shell all right and welcome back everyone we have all used the little boys room and topped ourselves up with refreshments i think with that we are ready to move into spoilers for this movie i think it's pretty safe to say i love this movie seems like these two guys really enjoyed the movie so if you haven't watched it before uh and you are sensitive to spoilers don't continue, but check out the movie. Uh, if you want to watch a crappy dub version of it, check it out on Amazon. But again, you have to be a degenerate to want to watch this movie in English. Uh, in that case, watch it for free on YouTube. I believe, uh, Taylor, was there ads when you watched it on YouTube? No, no. There you go. Oh Absolutely God, there perfect There were ads experience. when I watched it on Amazon. Oh, poor <laughs> Hank. Hank. The, worst I, the, the ad breaks were so fucking long. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, you should have texted it. Like I, so I watched, I watched this god awful dub of the movie, and the ad breaks are three to five minutes long a piece. Oh my god! And they're like every, they're like every ten to fifteen minutes. Like it added a substantial amount of time to the length of the film. I'm surprised you uh, still said you liked it. I wouldn't. I would have had a horrible experience. Jesus, and yeah, that's testament to it. the quality of the film. Yeah, like there you go. You know what? You guys should go back, uh, become a patron, and listen to last week's episode for both of these guys. We're just glowing about the merits of Amazon Prime Video. And now we see you know, a little chink in the armor. It's not such a great streaming service after all. Uh, just kidding. It's Did fun, you watch but... it on Disney? <laughs> With that. Oh, very funny. Very funny. No, I watched it again on a uh, legal adjacent website <laughs> uh, called Kiss speaking Anime, de- if anyone's interested. Speaking of degenerate. Oh, we all know Kiss. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I think we're full full spoiler territory. Anything goes. Um, and I think again, this is a movie that there is uh, a lot to talk about that is within spoilers. Uh, so Taylor, uh, what what did you think about this? Now that you have uh, no holds barred, you can say whatever you want. 
<clears throat> yeah, I um, well, the, the first the first hour, I was pretty pretty lost about what was going on, who these characters were. It, it wasn't jarring. It was just a lot of uh, you know, a lot of a lot of lines like, um, "Well, they treat you like a human, so stop your whining." You know, and so I'm like, okay, okay, all right. You know, just trying to like get a get a feel for what's going on. It wasn't until the second hour, so you know, the last. 20 minutes that the plot really picked up for me and I began to finally understand all the big moving pieces that were going on to, to some degree. Um, but I, that first hour was really carried for me by, by the visuals and by just the setting. Uh, this really, really luscious, you know, vaguely futuristic city, but also dilapidated, right? So you get this juxtaposition of future cars and the buildings are all kind of rusted. Um, so it just, that was just really engrossing and kind of that world they built was, was really engrossing for me. Um, and the, you know, the ambiguity that the characters gave for a lot of what was going on with the plot, um, it, it kind of worked for me in that these are just characters giving, you know, talking normally as normal people would. So of course they're not going to give me backstory to everything that they say. Um, so that, so it all, all kind of worked. The one thing that was a little jarring and I don't know if this is, this isn't just an anime thing, I don't think, um, but I, it seems super prominent in anime, which is like this desire to give, you have these strong female leads, these female protagonists that are almost constantly naked. Just, just all the time, no rhyme or reason. We're getting, we're getting titties in every single shot, every angle, every way you can do it. Um, that was the only thing that would just have me rolling my eyes a little bit. Everything else, I was, I was totally engrossed. Um, and then especially the last 20 minutes when the plot really picked up and kind of became, became coherent for me. Um, I re really enjoyed that the most out of a, the whole span of the movie. Yeah, for sure. I wish I could say the anime's gotten better, but I would argue that uh, nudity in anime and portrayal of women has uh, actually gone downhill. Hank, am I wrong in that? <laughs> Uh, no, you know, uh, anime, there's titties everywhere, uh, in 2021 <laughs> still. Um, and you know, like, uh, in some cases, uh, more warranted than others, but I would say in all cases, usually not that warranted. Usually, uh, usually the titties aren't a plot device. <laughs> why, why no lower half, right? We don't see any genitals ever, just, just the breast. Well, not it's illegal to show the genitals. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, but but the breast—that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't you can't show genitals. So I, they must not have HBO Max in Japan. I, it's just an entirely different website. So. <laughs> that's so. Funny. Yeah, but uh. Yeah. How'd you feel? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Dude. Yeah. So. Oh no! I was just I was just saying that it's you know oh. we're like one of the first scenes we get of our of our heroine is we're learning that she's like a cyborg, right? So she's like, it's all sort of mechanical with vaguely muscle and stuff. And so the breasts just seem totally added on just for the nerdy dudes that were animating it. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and... Uh... I was going to say, it's, it's not like they're... I, like, so much of her body has been augmented at this point. Like, you would imagine that... It's like, oh, there, there's going to be a plot device for this, right? It's like, it's going to show that these are, uh, there's a weapon in them or something. Some, some cheesy 007 Bond girl. But it's, uh, no, it's, it's just boobs for boobs' sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, and it was, you know, it, like, to kind of further on that, like, 
I feel like they tried to kind of hint at some sort of a justification where she would take off her clothes every time she needed to, like, cloak herself. And you're thinking, like, oh, maybe she can't, like, cloak her clothes. But then they show an entire fucking tank uh, cloak itself. <laughs> and you're like, okay, they probably they probably could have put a little something in her jacket, you know? <laughs> like, hey, the, the tank wasn't if, wearing clothes. <laughs> your oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. But it's like you're right. She, oh, how her could whole I? Have... Body is a cyborg weapon with very, very perky D cups. Also, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, maybe maybe that was her condition for being made into a cyborg. She's like, yeah, but I I don't want to have small tits anymore. <laughs> Um, not really, though. I, I don't think that's the case. I think that this was a, 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 a pervy artist that was having too much of a good time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how did you overall, what are your thoughts on the movie, uh, now that you can kind of dive into some plot points? Yeah, so um, overall, you know, from like a plot perspective, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I think that a lot of the stuff that Taylor said um, really rings true about like the first kind of arc of the movie. It can be kind of hard to parse what's going on. You know, like you have all these characters who are not really being introduced so much as they're occasionally referred to by name by other characters. And you have to kind of piece together which name goes with which face. Um, so that can make uh, for a little bit of a confusing time. And then similarly, uh, there are a number of sequences that are that are they're all part of like kind of the same plot event, which is them hunting down the puppet master, right? Who is this uh, this this hacker supposedly that's causing like political assassinations and terrorism and shit. Um, so there's a number of scenes that are all involving the hunt for the puppet master but they don't really explicitly say that that's the case. Like there's the intro scene where Kusanagi assassinates uh, the diplomat that's protecting a hacker. And it's not at all clear that that's related to the puppet master. And then there's like kind of the garbage truck thing where, you know, you can figure out that it's related to the puppet master, but no one's talking about the puppet master in that scene until the cops become involved. Um, so anyway, there's a number of scenes that are related to the central plot, but they don't really spell it out for you how it is, and they don't preface those scenes with parts that make it clear that they're related. Um, so it makes the beginning of the movie feel not exactly disjointed, uh, but a little bit confusing, because you feel like you're being shown a lot of things that are somewhat separate from each other. Um, but so, uh, and so at first it was a little bit off-putting. I was like, am I going to get to the end of this movie and be the idiot that like didn't understand what happened in Ghost in the Shell? And I'm glad to say that that's not the case because in the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie, it really comes together. Um, and I think it really becomes easily apparent to the, to the audience why these things are linked. Uh, you know, it's revealed that the Puppet Master is not really a person, but like a... a more or less a program that's gained sentience and it's explained like how that was related to what was going on with the garbage trucks and how that was related to the intro assassination scene and so that kind of brings it all together but uh besides it being brought together i really liked when they were dealing with the puppet master um because i feel like they were tackling the question of kind of like what makes you human or like like what's so special about being a human without spelling it out in so many words except for like the ending monologue does it a little bit 
But I feel like I've definitely read things and seen things that deal with that question. They're like, oh, you know, what really makes you a human? Is a robot a human? Like, that's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, you see it in Blade Runner and you see it in, like, pretty much every, like, cyberpunk android story there's ever been. Uh, But in this movie, they don't really introduce that idea to you up front. Like, you're led to believe that the Puppet Master is a person with human motivations throughout the movie. When it's finally revealed that the Puppet Master isn't a person as we think of them, um, you know, it's it's like a little bit out of left field. But at that point, you're already kind of thinking of the Puppet Master as a human. So, like, they've kind of led you to an answer without even telling you the question up front. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, I, I thought that uh, they did a really good job of kind of like delivering the story through context. And because of that, not like really like priming you with like your own opinions on the question. Because I feel like if up front they'd said this is going to be a movie about what makes you human, um, people would have their own opinions. But the way they, they delivered it, I thought was really cool. And the ambiguity, I think, actually really served the plot really well. Definitely. No, I, I like that you brought up the point of, like, you don't want to be the guy that gets to the end of Ghost in the Shell and has absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, and I, I don't know. That maybe, was me. I was that guy. Hank, I think maybe... Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I, I think, Hank, maybe you're just the smartest of the three of us, because I've, I've been watching this movie for years. I don't know if I just, you know, completely click off my monkey brain and just entirely consume media with my lizard brain. But I, I've been watching this movie since I was probably 14 or 15. I watched it every couple years. And I, like, regularly did not really understand, like, the political implications or, like, the backstory of the AI that gained sentience. Like, for a lot of my life, I still thought that the Puppet Master was a real person. And I kind of was just like, wow, but there's a cool scene in the the river. And I don't care because she's flashing in and out of her camouflage. Um, but, I, you know, again, on this rewatch, things are starting to come together a little bit. You know, I'm in my, in my 30s. I'm a little bit older. Um just kidding but i again i I think like it's not the easiest movie to i don't don't think it does much to bring its plot to the forefront um and i don't know if it's that it's not necessarily skilled in its writing or it's just more concerned with really pushing other things to the forefront um like i think the visuals and and the audio are the things that are really front and center in this movie um because myself personally i'm not really super interested in movies that have a lot of political intrigue a lot of spy movies they have this thing where it's you know it's the government's really behind it it's these weird shadow organizations section six may have been involved and what is it like project 2501 was the one that created this cyborg that becomes the puppet master it's all just really convoluted and i think the way that hank spelled it out it's very clear and concise and it, it makes sense to me and i can look back at the movie and be like that's what happened but you know end to end if someone approaches this movie and doesn't really know much about it i think it's it's pretty fair to think that not a lot of people would come away understanding the entire plot so i'm glad hank that you picked up on it because it took me many many watches to piece that together yeah and you know i will say that you know i think part of the reason that i picked up on it like so relatively quickly is because i've read a lot of cyberpunk literature and i've played cyberpunk games and seen cyberpunk movies and so nothing that was in this movie was kind of like new on its own to me but i felt like this movie was a lot more nuanced than a lot of other media i've seen in the same genre Mm -hmm. where it wasn't really clearly like telling you what the questions were yeah because there were clearly some like important philosophical questions at the core of it 
but they weren't saying like you have to you know think about this question to enjoy the movie like there's a whole lot of movie even if you didn't get that um and and i think that's a a nice way to approach the issues yeah and you know in in 2021 this wasn't this wasn't for me an interesting uh dive into that question of like what is sentience and consciousness and how would you evaluate these things and give definitions for them you know i mean I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a Cartesian on this. Um, so I, I thought a lot about these sorts of questions. But for 1995, I think this was, I think this was a great way to broach these topics, especially and explore them in a, a way accessible to a wider audience that maybe had thought about these questions before. So like trying not to judge it with like a modern eye, but an eye appropriate for its time. Um, I think it was, I think it, it, it you know, asked these questions and didn't really provide any answers. And I think that's totally, totally fine for what it was trying to do when it was trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you think, <clears throat> it's a great point about this this being a way to approach it in, in a relative mainstream media. You know, five to 10 years later, you'd have the first Matrix movie, or I think four years later, right? 1999, you'd have the first Matrix movie, which to a lot of people, especially of our generation, was one of the first major movies to that we would see newly that would kind of approach these topics. And I remember when I was younger, this is a movie that, like, that was a movie that a lot of people would really talk about. And, you know, the Wachowski siblings always kind of refer back to this original Ghost of the Shell as something that, that uh, kind of influenced that movie. Um, but one of the scenes that I wanted to highlight, I'm curious about your guys' take on it, um, that I've always thought was just super, super striking. Uh, it does have to do with Taylor, what you had kind of brought up about uh, questions about what it is to be a human and, and what it is to have your own thought. Um, and Hank, you would compare this a lot to Blade Runner. And, and Blade Runner is a movie that kind of, spoilers for a movie that was made you know, almost 35 years ago. Rick Deckard spends most of the latter two acts of that movie kind of is he a replicant? Is he not a replicant? And towards the latter end of the movie, it, it really doesn't feel like it matters, right? He's going to leave with Rachel. You know, things are... It's kind of inconsequential to the plot whether or not he is or he's not. He's, he's going to go about things the way that he's decided to. But one of kind of the most scary parts of this Ghost in the Shell movie is the scene where they're interrogating someone who had no idea that he his entire life had been fabricated and that he had, had become a... Like, there was a ghost in his shell and that part of his memories had been fabricated. Um, so this is a guy that's been, you know, he's being questioned by detectives of Section 6. He's getting his alibi. He's talking about his wife and his family. And they're just completely telling him, this is this is a construct. We've been to your apartment. It's completely empty. You're a bachelor. You live alone in the city. And Hank, maybe this didn't come through as much in the dub, but just even though I don't speak Japanese, like listening to the audio track and just kind of watching the way it's animated, it's really horrifying to watch this guy come to terms with the realization that his whole life, as he understands it, is a fabrication. It just the idea of like thinking through that in my own life. Of what what if these things that I rely on so comfortably as being constants in my life were just they weren't. They they were things that were completely placed in my mind by someone else. Is uh, is pretty scary to me. And I think that scene in particular, something that really sticks out to me on on multiple rewatches. I'm curious what you guys thought about that whole interrogation sequence. Yeah, so I really liked that interrogation sequence. It was kind of like a two-minute horror movie, almost. Um, even in the dub, you know, obviously, I don't think the, the English voice actors did any justice to what was going on. Um, but the animation really carried it well. Um, and I thought that... Excuse me, I burped. Um, 
I doing great justice to my review of that scene. But no, I thought that um, that scene was uh, particularly cool because um, we have like a lot of questions. Uh, they're not exactly raised, but they, they come to mind near the end of the movie when we're dealing with the puppet master about like, you know, like, is it sentient? Is it not like, d d does it matter that it's not like a biological machine? Um, and I think a lot of those questions kind of have to do with the puppet master's origin. Like, you know, like if, if the puppet master was born a person, then it, the, the, the questions wouldn't have been asked. Like it wouldn't have mattered. Um, but so you have like a little bit of the flip side with this guy, who's this guy is clearly born a person. Like he is human, um, but he has this constructed experience that was built for him and none of it happened. Um, and like the parts that did happen were ostensibly overwritten by this, this simulated experience that he thinks he's lived through. Um, and I thought it was kind of like a cool mirror of what was going on with the puppet master because this guy, you know, like he is obviously a person by like a lot of the character's definition, like he was born a human, but the experiences he have that kind of make him a person aren't real. So you almost have to kind of like wonder about like you know it, what that means for for him like 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 d does his personality then become a construct um and so anyway it's kind of like an interesting mirror view of what's going on the, with the puppet master where you're saying like well it wasn't born a human it's not like a real biological creature but it is built up uh, uh, ostensibly out of experiences it's actually had and so it seems in a sense more real than this guy who has had its, his experiences just constructed out of thin air um, so I, like, I, you know, regardless of where you fall on those issues, like whether you need to be human to be a person and that sort of stuff, I think that it's kind of like an interesting way to kind of like flip the core issue of a movie on its head. And they do it with just like this awesome sense of horror because, you know, given the fact that the guy's a human, the questions seem a lot more relevant, I think, to the viewer than they do with the puppet master because no one that I know of is in that situation where they weren't born and but like they still have experiences that made them like the the being they are today you know but i think that people do often deal with the question of like continuity like how much they can rely on their memories and stuff um so i think that it's kind of a cool way of framing that whole question uh so that in the end when we have to deal with kind of the other side of it you know like if the, your experiences are real but you're not like a real person like does that make you real i think that it kind of gives it a cool piece of context. So anyway, I like it in the context of the movie. I also love it on its own because it's just horrific to deal with. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Hank. I, um, this was actually one of my favorite sequences in the whole film because it showed, you know, more or less regular people interacting with all this craziness. Um, and the, the main characters, I, I, I just had a hard time really seeing them as anything other than moody um, because you know I mean you're you're you've willingly chosen to become a human cyborg assassination assassin for the shadowy government organizations and you know I just, I just don't have a lot of sympathy or compassion for those people um, but whereas this guy his problems his his uh, interaction with all this stuff seemed a lot more similar to what I think mine might be um, and so I really, I found that actually, you know, scary and gripping. Um, and I would have, I, 
I would have liked to see more of that, you know, less of the super badass cloaked people and spines getting ripped open and things like that, and more of these regular people confronting these bizarre new technology. Um, but I, I will say the thing that kind of muddied all of this weird, um, you know, brain simulation, brain, brain augmentation stuff for me was the word ghost which is the first word in the title. It's a pretty important thing in the whole movie. Um, and for the first part of the movie, I thought Ghost was like an AI people were having implanted in their brain, like regularly, like almost everybody, to like assist you in all kinds of stuff. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, wait, are they talking about like a soul? So I, that, that, cause that really caused a lot of confusion for me. What about, what about you guys? What, what did you think the goat uh, a ghost is and uh and did that were you like comfortable with that definition the whole time did it make sense to you or were you also a little confused oh i'm with you i thought i thought ghost was confusing uh right through the end i i think i could be wrong that it's more something like a soul or like a personality or something um but uh, they don't bother to explain it uh for you up front or at any subsequent point <laughs> and so they keep saying it and you're like, what the, the, the hell are you talking about? Like, it, it would have been easy enough if they'd said, like, oh, is there a soul in there? But that would have been, I think, a little bit too on the nose. Um, so I, I don't know how exactly how they would have improved it. But I think that it would have been easier for me if they had uh, done any any amount of explanation as to what it was. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like a bit of a weird translation. <clears throat> I would say, like, my own experience. Uh, by the time that I had watched this movie, I was, like, in my teens. And I was... Like pretty devoted to, to watching new anime movies so at that point i was like you know i was like probably 15 16 i already had like the internet i was like reading lists of of movies that were recommended to watch i was already like relatively aware of ghost in the shell and like the presence that it had and i already like read a fair bit about it um and i think i might be wrong in this but I, i'll i can fact check this i i'm fairly certain that the manga which is like the Japanese comic that this movie was based on is named Ghost in the Shell because the the mangaka, which is the author, um, had based it on like a loose translation of Deus Ex Machina or like God in the Machine. So I think it's it's kind of a loss in translation where it it, it began as that, which is ultimately kind of unrelated, but moved to to Ghost in the Shell. Uh, but I agree. I think like without that context, it it definitely seems like they're referring to like an actual entity or like some kind of ai like ar that helps them out versus like their actual soul being trapped in the in the the shell interesting okay yeah yeah and uh go ahead Hank. and for the record uh, i've looked i looked this up on on the good old wikipedia and wikipedia says an oft-mentioned term is ghost referring to the consciousness inhabiting the body um so, yeah, do with that what you will okay that, yeah. that okay that that's that's kind of where i got to by the very end but the whole time before like maybe the last 30 minutes i thought it was talking about like some ai people have inside of them so that like that's why it seemed like easy to hack gotcha. which is what the puppet master was doing so i see okay that, that clears things up for me yeah um and i another question i have uh kind of dealing with the legacy of this movie um so one of the things i was reading on imdb and just generally about it is that this is a movie that is far more respected actually in the west 
than it is overseas in Japan. Like over in Japan, it's it's seen as like a, a good older movie, but over here, I think it's we hold it up as you know again we had said Akira, Neuromancer, Matrix, like the, one of these you know pillars of science fiction um, that is just so influential to other things. And because of that, I think there's varying levels of quality and and differences in the subsequent sequels that came out of this. So, you know, as is to do in Japan, there's a lot of follow-up. So there's the direct sequel, which is Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, completely deals with Bato, which is her partner. Um, he is very much a full cyborg. He doesn't even have real eyes anymore, and it's about him and his dog. Very similar storyline to the first movie, similar questions raised. A little bit more heavy on the action. There is two seasons of a show called Ghost in the Shell, standalone complex which is very much a return to the kind of quiet contemplative detective stuff and less on the action and then netflix actually picked this up to be a distributor and they fund production for a lot of new releases and i believe that netflix has done three no two new series and two new movies so this is a franchise that is alive and well i believe there was actually a full feature movie that came out two years ago under the netflix banner um Given what you've seen in this first movie and knowing that there's more action-oriented stuff, more of the science fiction questioning of reality stuff, would you guys ever be interested in, in watching any of the other things in this franchise? Yeah, I, I mean... I, I really enjoyed the movie, and I actually really enjoyed the action sequences. I thought they were cool and impactful. But in terms of the story, I think that, and I, I think I've stated this a number of times, I think a lot of what supported it was how much they didn't draw out for you and how much they didn't answer. Like, they kind of implied the questions and let you sit with it, and I thought that was a victory of the movie. Um, and I can't imagine subsequent works doing more of that I, I think that by creating more work in the franchise you're you're either going to have to explain more or you're going to have to branch out into a bunch of different questions that aren't maybe as interesting as the movie is dealing with so i think I, i'm content to leave it at this movie um i i would probably watch this movie again uh but i think that watching more in the franchise might ruin it for me and i i'm not sure i really want to take that chance Especially because I have uh, incidentally heard some kind of less than positive things about some of the follow-ups. Yeah, fair enough. Taylor, yeah, do you feel like you'll, think you'll pursue more more stuff? No, I think I'm I think I'm kind of in the in the same boat that you know I'm not I'm not a huge fan uh, of anime generally. Um, and while I do like these sorts of topics, it didn't you know it didn't didn't really address them in a way that I found particularly interesting. Um, so yeah, it was it was like. You know, it's like uh, it's like for me, it's sort of like experiencing an, uh, a new art form. That's how, kind of always how I feel about like the cure is the best example I have of these like animes that are, I guess in the West I'm now learning music and is considered like a great masterpiece um, and inspired you know the Matrix and Avatar and Steven Spielberg's AI and that kind of stuff. So I like I like having seen it and placing it kind of in that chronology of this sort of sci-fi pop uh, philosophy, but. I don't. I don't think I'm too tempted to to go read the magna magna or anything else. Yeah, fair enough. I I actually, you know, despite my love of this movie, I'm actually in a very similar camp. I've watched the second movie, 
Um, have pretty fond memories of it, but I also watched it when I was a lot younger and I haven't rewatched it since. Um, and I just, I, I have not had the energy to get into the Netflix stuff or any of the newer stuff. Um, and I think as a self-contained story, you know, it's, it's a 90 minute movie, very digestible. The fact that it's on YouTube as well, sorry, Hank, but it, it's fairly readily available. Um, I think this is just a, a really, really interesting experience. And I think like, it's, it's another kind of check in your bingo box of like movies that you need to watch as a cinephile. So again, I don't want to compare to Citizen Kane, but it's it's again, a movie that's, that's brought up a lot in movies that have had a lot of impact. So, um, Kind of happy to leave it as is as well, um, and just continually rewatch this one whenever I, I need that sci-fi anime kick. Yeah, totally. And actually, you know, we I, we were ragging on the the Garjo one, but until I saw this, I just assumed that like critique that well, you know, the the anime movie and she's a white lady, presumably for portraying a, a Japanese character. So I could see that people would not like that. But I actually thought the the use of of race in this movie was really interesting because it seemed totally cosmopolitan, at least with sort of the main characters and these higher level characters, as opposed to like the garbage truck drivers or things like that. Um, where there were just people that looked like they were from all over the world, basically. Um, so I, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. So I could I could see how a live a- action adaptation with Star Joe could be could be all right. All right, Hank, you have anything to say before I absolutely dunk on that point? <clears throat> uh, no, I, I want to hear what you have to say there. <laughs> so, I, again, I haven't seen the ScarJo one. I, I've read a fair bit about it. Um, I, I've watched sequences from it, um, mostly just the action scenes, because I, I want to support that movie. I watch it on websites that I know will not financially contribute to that movie. Um, I actually think that's a fair point, and I think you know these are not people that have an attributed race when you're watching the anime movie. Um, the movie is is inspired by Hong Kong, and that's what they used for a lot of the settings when they were drawing these these backdrops. So it's it's fair to think like you were talking about the garbage men. There's a lot of characters that have darker skin tones. It's very easy to think that these could be people you know that are like non Han Chinese that maybe are a little bit more tan. You know, Singaporeans, Hong Kong people, they're maybe a little darker, maybe a little more like tan because it's it's the climate's different. Um, but the thing that really sets me off about the ScarJo remake is the plot of that movie is slightly different in that she's a cop and she's fully augmented, not by her own decision, but because Section 6 found her dying and took her ghost and put it in Scarlett Johansson's shell, which is a fully mass-produced shell. And it turns out at the end of that movie, yeah, Section 6 has been lying to her. Same, similar, you know, thread of, of the government oversight and, you know, these shadow organizations. But the original woman that she was was a Japanese woman who was in an no, accident no. and they took the no, Japanese no. woman's ghost and put it in ScarJo's shell. Which leads to the oh, question, no. did they not, did this world of the live action not have Asian women's shells? Like, it just seems <laughs> like a complete mismatch to take a dying Japanese woman and put her in a white woman's body. It's, oh, it, no. if it followed the actual anime, I could actually see your point, but it just completely shoots itself in the foot to having any merit to that argument. And again, ScarJo, completely fine actress, right? Marriage Story, th- there are certainly movies where she completely brings her acting chops to the forefront, but that is horrible miscasting. And her and her agent and her whole team, they really dig their feet on it. And it just really, really irks me that she is so insistent that it's okay that she portrayed that character, especially given the script's re- reworkings. But 
I, I know that you didn't know that before. So, you know, to your point, if, if it followed the same threads as, as the anime movie, I think it's fair. Yeah, okay. I was assuming it was mostly the anime movie where, you know, even the main lady, she's not obviously racially coded in any way, right? So, and, like, there's plenty of people in the movie that are, are you know, have blonde hair and are obviously white and stuff. So, like, yeah. if she had... Oh, okay. I, I, now, I, now I get a little bit more of people don't like people didn't like it. Although the idea of <laughs> the idea of mass-produced Star Jobot is pretty tight, I would be totally fine with that. It's it's like what is it? Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where everyone just has Anna de Armas robots in their house or, or holograms. It's insane. What a future! <laughs> what a world to live in. Man, why would they do that? That's so silly. Oh God. All right. Well, I guess yeah. we're kind of well, we're moving towards the tail end. Do you guys have any other thoughts? Thanks for recommending this, Keegan. Yeah, I'm, Sorry, I'm, I'm pretty happy to have this, like you said, spot on my bingo board to fill out with these kinds of movies that are like very influential in the history of, of cinema. I think it's I think it's super fun to to get to see how these ideas have been carried forward in more modern movies that I've already seen. For sure, for sure, for sure. Hank, any any closing thoughts before we move into our uh, our rankings? Yeah, you know, I uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I think that if you have dealt with any cyberpunk media, there's not going to be like any questions the movie asks that you're not familiar with. Uh, but I do think that visually and auditorially, it's a masterpiece. And I think that uh, even if you're familiar with the stuff they're kind of dealing with here, I think the movie kind of does it in kind of a fun, ambiguous way. Like, it's not trying to, like, assert any points that you've already seen before. It's just kind of presenting a world where those those questions are relevant. And I think, yeah, so I think I think it's pretty dope. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Well, I definitely like this movie as well. I think that goes without saying. I think it's a movie that everyone should, uh, should check out at some point in their lives. But I will move us into our final ratings, um, and I'll kick us off here. So... Again, this is a, an absolutely phenomenal movie. Um, as a standalone project, I think it's it's really, really interesting to check out. Um, it, it doesn't really need to be bolstered up by any of the, the subsequent things that came out of this franchise. Um, but again, I, I love it a lot. Um, I think it's absolutely gorgeous to look at. I think the soundtrack is just absolutely phenomenal, and it has a sound that I don't think any other movie sounds like. It, it's so unique and distinct, right? You could hear that, that odd, raspy throat singing and instantly pick out of a you know dozens of different soundtracks that this is distinctly ghost in the shell which i just i love it it's so haunting and it always sticks in my memory if i had to give this movie a rating i would just give it a four and a half out of five whitewashed remakes (laughs) with that uh hank what's your rating on this one yeah so i you know i i think i've gushed about it enough um I think I like the philosophical aspect more than uh, our more philosophically versed friend Taylor here. Uh, But overall, if I had to give it a rating, I think I would give it like, ooh, oh man, I I was hoping to do something clever with the numbers from the movie, but I don't think they'd uh, they'd adequately reflect how I actually think of the movie. So I'm going to give it a uh, nine out of 10 meaty cyborg arm snaps. Good, good reference. That is a crazy sequence. Taylor, how are we yeah, feeling on this one? Yeah, uh, I'm right. I'm right there with you, Hank. I think if if, if you're listening and you uh, you like 
pop philosophy or you like uh, you're just you're just in for a, a moody night kind of a film noir in, in future Hong Kong um, I think I think you should give this movie a shot I think you're gonna like it I'm giving it eight out of ten mass-produced Scarjo bots <laughs> which is nearly identical to my rating so <laughs> perfect yeah. cool cool I'm, I'm really glad that we watched this movie together um, and you know what I don't maybe a little bit of a spoiler but in the in the near future speaking of watching movies together Hank you're almost fully vaccinated I'm not taking summer classes I think for fans of the show it's a very real reality that we will uh, be watching a movie together at some point and then do a review of something that we we all sat down potentially on the same couch undistanced and watched which is a very exciting thought Ooh, I'll cuddle yeah, I've got a big ass couch you know I know very exciting so with that uh, next week we are heading into what I think is fair to start calling the uh, the summer season of movies it may or may not have already kicked off but we are going to be doing a summer that is mainly a weeks I think it's fair to say we have a bit of a two three ratio as opposed to the one on one off so again, if you guys are frustrated by the schedule, you can email us at rotatingreels at gmail.com. But I think I'm pretty excited with the lineup of movies we have coming up over the next few weeks. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of studios were sitting on a lot of big blockbusters that they were meant to release last summer, um, as well as some new releases. So I think it's gonna be a lot of fun upcoming stuff. Um, and next week kind of kicks that off with a movie that is pretty big, but uh, is not getting good early buzz. So we'll see how we feel about that. Uh, that movie is The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. And I will read the IMDb no, no. blurb. This is, this is probably, I will say, one of the worst IMDb blurbs I have ever seen in my life. I think it's 10 words. The Warrens investigate a murder that may be linked to a demonic possession. <laughs> How lazy is always. that? that is... <laughs> I know, it's... Those kooky Warrens. I know. It's <laughs> truly, truly game. one of the worst things I have ever read. <laughs> um, so that, that is going to be a movie that... It's boiled down to its most basic elements, and that's what we all want in our horror films. Um, so this will be a uh, this is an in theaters and a Warner Bros. production. So for those of you that aren't feeling safe going into theaters, you can watch this on HBO Max same day release. That's coming out this week, um, and if you want to see it in theaters uh, and you're in the Portland area, you might see me there um, again. We do not encourage you to go out if you're not fully vaccinated, but I think horror movies are really fun in theaters. So. With that, um, I think we're all wrapped here. Do you guys have any last last things you want to say before we wrap this episode up? There's nowhere to feel safe when the Warrens are in town. <laughs> it's true. They'll just show up if they hear about a haunting. I mean, they won't anymore because they're dead. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, go look up their Wikipedia article. They, 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 they would just hear about shit and show up and be like, let us in. We need to make money on this story. <laughs> How can we take advantage Spoilers, of psychologically hey. disturbs people? <laughs> yeah, no, like, like I, I don't want to rag on this for too long, but The Conjuring 2, uh, if you ever look up how they were actually involved in that, uh, that thing, um, there were other investigators that were involved, and they've been asked about the Warrens' involvement, and they're like, yeah, they showed up, and they're like, let us in, and they were turned away at the door, and they still wrote up their findings. <laughs> um, I did not so, know that. Is that really true? Yes. Wow, interesting. They seem like kind of sleazy guys. Or, well, guy and girl. They seem, they seem like a sleazy pair, those two. 
Yeah, no, they're the worst, um, but they're dead, so you can still see the movie without worrying about supporting them. What a way. I hope, if I am a horrible person in life, that someday Vera Farmiga will play me <laughs> once I die. <laughs> what a way to be commemorated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited. I, I, saw, cool. I saw that this was coming out, and I was like, oh, yeah, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, this is this is ultimate schlock horror. So I think this will be a, a good review. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I think with that, we are wrapped on this episode of Ghost in the Shell. We'll see you next week for The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Thank you again for listening, everybody. It's a wrap. Deuces. Woo!